1: It is 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. First up this hour, the PADU database was developed by our civil service in-house as a way to increase their digital capabilities. But given the complaints that have surfaced since the launch, was the trade-off worth it? So this um, actually comes um, from a um, essentially a press conference that uh, the Minister Rafizi Ramli gave where he defended PADU against critics who have been raising concerns over the... Uh, various issues that have cropped up, um, you know, when it comes to security and interface and so on, particularly uh, in terms of protecting personal data. And he said that the decision to develop the database in-house instead of appointing vendors or private firms, um, that saving cost was one thing, but actually the larger goal of this was to build a digitally capable civil service. Um, And he said that the previous practice of appointing uh, an external vendor uh, was no longer appropriate um, so that the, uh, because the in-house development, development would allow uh, padu to also immediately act on public feedback so this notion of um, let us do this in house so that we build this kind of capacity and talent but then that brings about the question of if then we see that there are problems is that the most effective system to have in place?
2: Yeah. So actually, you'd even, you could drop the word digitally uh, savvy and just <laughs> go with ca- capacities and capabilities yeah. within the civil service, which is a long standing conversation. And we know at some point there was a turn in the way government operated. Uh, many administrations were turning to private the private sector um, and drawing expertise from them uh, in order to do many things. It could be writing policy p- positions. Uh, p- papers and blueprints and whole range of things, which cost the public purse millions. I don't know at this point in time if you chalk up all the uh, contracts given to uh, private sector vendors who do, you know, consultancies and such. How much have these governments spent? I mean, I th- would say probably in the billions, right? So, uh, so there's this larger, I think, conversation about it, and in which the particular. Question of Padu and the minister's choice to uh, to use this particular, um, you know, um, database as um, as a staging post for building capacity within the the civil service, I think brings up a whole range of questions that uh, I think is going to take some time to kind of unpack.
1: So I think actually, to, to to boil it down, really, the question that we are interested in today is whether, and and you know, to be fair, I think both of us are very much for upskilling when it comes to our public sector. There's no reason not to support endeavours that would, that would push it in that direction. Indeed, But is, if the trade-off for that is that we need to struggle with these sorts of, well, something wasn't done to the, to the fullest capacity, uh, it might take some time because they're still learning their way around something. Is that trade-off worth it? And I think that's actually a question that uh, is perhaps more difficult to answer than just, are we happy with the system?
2: This is true, and you know, and in fact, when uh, we had a you know a guest on uh, just yesterday talking about Padu, uh, we did talk about the question of um, you know, well, we at least it re- was revealed that while this private uh, you know company wasn't building the system, they were involved, and so obviously there was there were many stakeholders in this uh, process, right? But the concern I think ultimately is that is something like Padu too important to be the testing ground for or the, you know, the the thing on which you then sort of build capacity uh, in the civil service. And uh, I think that is something I I mean, personally don't know
1: uh, how to answer. So we will be discussing this uh, very shortly with public policy consultant Davina Devarajan. But we want to hear from you: How can we balance long-term gain with potential short-term pain, especially for something as important as Padu? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, Tweet us at BFM Radio. Business, finance, and music. BFM eighty nine point nine. It's 14. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. And we're talking about a uh, statement from the uh, Economy Minister, Rafizi Ramli, that the PADU database was developed by our civil service uh, in-house uh, as a way to increase their di- digital capabilities. So this then brings about the question of, is that notion of capacity building in the long term worth contending with some of these issues that have since materialized with Padu. So we want to hear from you. How can we balance long-term gain with potential short-term pain, especially for something as important as Padu? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. Joining us now on the line is Davina Devarajan, a public policy consultant who specializes in digital adoption strategies. Davina, good to have you with us.
0: Hi there. Super good to be on and talking about this.
1: So Rafizi has addressed this decision uh, that instead of appointing external vendors or private firms, uh, he said that saving cost was important, but that the larger goal was to build a digitally capable civil service. Given the issues we've seen uh, post the Padu launch, do you think the decision to prioritize uh, in-house development was justified?
0: Yeah, so I think um, what's important is also looking at the goal of Padu um, and why it's implemented. Having a centralized database to create fair and data-driven systems for targeted subsidies is commendable. And it is an important platform that we have um, as Malaysians, for Malaysians. However, kind of looking at the cybersecurity issues that are coming up, I think it's it's unfair to also ignore that that is quite a pressing issue when launching a platform that has access to data of the citizens. And perhaps that when it came to implementing it and uh, looking at rolling it out, Despite it being such an important uh, multifaceted platform, um, it would it would have been a little bit more uh, preemptive to look at the possible cybersecurity issues and threats that should have been addressed perhaps prior to it being launched. Um, and the focus on civil servants is quite an interesting topic because... As much as we want to uh, develop our civil servant capabilities, it is also unfair to ignore big threats when coming up with um, multifaceted platforms or even policies that address uh, nationwide issues such as what Padu is currently doing.
2: Davino, I want to just sort of follow up and then ask you: Do you think, just looking at the the nature and the scope of this particular platform and what it tries to do, that this could have that this was developed solely in house? Wouldn't it have been a mix of both, uh, you know, civil servants uh, in house and also uh, private vendors? Is that more likely kind of a setup?
0: Yeah, I think reading a few of the articles, Rafizi has mentioned that they did consult with um, certain consultants, I think, um, or t- experts when developing the, this product. And I cannot say that it, it was built entirely in-house. However, I think having a... a con Because we're not given a lot of insights into how much consultancy was was uh, had with technical experts um outside of the in-house team, right? And looking at the issues that have been raised, there's quite a few, as we are all seeing in the articles recently, and and even uh, Malaysians sort of reporting in certain things that they're able to do that they shouldn't be able to do on the platform itself. I think that perhaps having a stronger base of um, experts, both regionally and globally, being a part of this process would have been needed, Um, As much as we want to prioritize um, building capabilities of civil servants, that's not something that we have to do in isolation of bringing in um, expertise or maybe possibly have bringing in more expertise when developing um, the system, Um, as it would have uh, addressed some of the issues that we're currently seeing today. It would have also addressed and helped in building capacity with the team if we promote public sector and private sector collaboration. So
1: actually, before we go down that path, could you first tell us about the current digital expertise or capabilities of our public sector? I mean, how are we doing in terms of international benchmarks?
0: Mm, That's a really good question. Um, I was recently looking at statistics and and I think we see it all the time. Actually, the Malaysian bureaucracy is probably one of the largest in the world. So we've got around 1.7 million civil servants. and That's a large amount, right? Um, and we look at all of the different policies and strategies that we have come up with um, since to improve digital literacy and capabilities of civil servants. We've seen industrial revolution. 4.0, we've seen our um, digital blueprint. So we have a robust strategy in terms of addressing these things and we've set our goals as well. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think one of our goals is to see end-to-end adoption of government services at 80% in 2022 and we reached around 68%, if I'm not mistaken, which is not a bad uh, statistics to have. However, there is still room for growth. Um, and especially if we're comparing Malaysia in terms of even just regional countries such as Singapore um, or Internationally, such as um, Denmark, there is still quite a, a, a long road for us to go. And comparing that with how fast technology is um, improving and, and all of the different services and all of the different um, aspects of digital transformation that's coming out, we're seeing things like AI Um, And then talking about how the security, the data security is a part of this whole uh, conversation. I would say that Malaysia is is on a very good track record. However, we still have quite a bit to go uh, before we can say we're one of the best.
2: So, Davina, I'm sure those blueprints were also kind of outsourced. I mean, that's just one of the realities of Malaysian government for the last couple of decades, isn't it? Uh, yeah. But I want to ask you about uh, the question of, okay, let's say we're all on the same page with regard to building a digitally capable civil service. What would need to go into the mix in, uh, with that? Or what would training look like? Or what would recruitment look like that's different from what's happening now?
0: Mm. I think one of the first steps is actually relooking the, the relevance of job roles in terms of civil, uh, civil servants. Uh, the important part of training programs, which we'll all talk about when it comes to upskilling, is also how do you then um, tailor the current job roles and the dis- job descriptions to new responsibilities of civil servants? And how do we then map that against all of the new platforms um, and all of the new things that are coming up in terms of expanding our services to Malaysians, right? How do we incorporate adaptability um, into training programs? And this includes things like not just training our civil servants on the technical capabilities, which is things like data analytics or AI, but also incorporating elements of looking at policy, looking at best practices from other countries, the ethics of utilization of uh, digital platforms and data as well. I think those are all things that need to be incorporated in terms of our training programs when it comes to civil servants for them to get a holistic view and understanding um, on what delivering digital services and how to advance their careers um, as civil servants as well within, within these sectors um, to be able to promote better quality formulations. So
1: going back to the PADU database, right? What measures do you think should have been taken to successfully balance these short-term needs with that long-term goal of digital capacity building?
0: Yeah, so I think that's the, the most pressing question um, in this whole conversation. And if we break down Padu, um, Padu has a main goal, obviously. But what it is currently, we can say, is a centralized database. When we're building something as complicated as this, that is taking data from multiple different sources um, and also using the data to create uh, to create better subsidies or better policies, what's important is to be able to isolate what are the what are the pressing issues that will come out of a platform such as this and what are medium-term or low-term risks that would come out of this. So, in the development of Padu, I think what I would have liked to see was to be able to identify issues such as cybersecurity, which is one of the bigger issues um, when coming up with centralized databases because it's essentially a hotbed for hackers. um, If we're not implementing the right uh, steps and the right measures to protect it and being able to identify that "Mm, cybersecurity is a huge risk um, and a huge thing that we should have looked at and maybe incorporating a lot more expertise um, and touching into the pool of experts slightly more to at least address the big issues and then the medium-term and low-term priorities could have been done a little bit more in-house <clears throat> and to to be able to promote um capable, capability building um of the civil service, I think having that prioritization um during the development of the platform would have been a a, a good way to implement it and to um roll it out with very minimal risks.
2: No, Davina, this kind of in some ways touches on maybe prejudices that we have about the civil service. But I want to ask you this in terms of uh, the use of external vendors for projects, government projects, right? In a a general sense, what are the pros and cons of using external vendors versus handling uh, these developments in-house?
0: So I think the government is no... uh uh, the government is not shy to using external vendors as and when needed, and there are a lot of pros that can come from it. From it right, uh, if we're talking about right now this whole system, having specialized expertise uh, from a global pool would have been very helpful because it would have maybe speeded up speed up the process uh, of development. It would have addressed certain um, issues in terms of um, bugs. Or, or things that we would have seen, um, and and essentially even having that flexibility and and scale, scale, scalability because you're open to a lot more resources. Um, however, the cons is there is a lot a lack of control when you do adopt. Um, the help of uh, external expertise. And when we're talking about large data sets, it is definitely a risk to be having a a, a vendor um, open to these kind of data sets if there are not um, enough uh, measures put in place to protect it. Um, There's confidentiality and security risk. And I think these are all things that um, was considered by Rafizi when he was deciding to adopt for um, a a more in-house approach. <clears throat> However, when we're talking about in-house development, and we're trying to look at, um, you know, the goal of of Padu and what is Padu supposed to do, right? Which is essentially to be able to inform better decision making when it comes to um, subsidies. We also have to look at the fact that right now um, this is the talent pool that we have, and um, as much as we are working towards um, building credibility building capability we also have to address that we might not have all of the uh, expertise that we currently need in house and that puts us in a in a place where we need to consider how do we adopt better public sector private se- sector Uh, collaboration to be able to address these sort of resource constraints and at the same time by adopting um, public private sector um, collaboration it is a mechanism that can also help you build capability in-house if done in tandem Um, so I think that there are there are definitely a lot of pros and cons to both of it but when we are addressing issues such as this I don't think a one phase approach is the best way to go. I think it's identifying what are the big risks, uh, what are the immediate resources that we need to ensure that those risks um, are contained, and then addressing the things um, that are maybe less um, priorities a bit later on with the different capabilities, with the different resources that we might have. I don't think it has to be done um, in isolation. So we have
1: uh, a couple of minutes left. How can the government ensure that in-house staff don't run the risk of complacency? Because unlike the private sector, there is uh, relatively little incentive to upgrade or improve services in the public sector.
0: Mm. I, I, don't, I wouldn't say Malaysia, the Malaysian government is is um, the only government to face the, these sort of questions and issues. And I think that really does come down to um, essentially... Uh, best actually practices within the different units, right? So looking at how do you set effective KPIs um, for your staff members that they are able and motivated to hit? How do you have proper incentive plans that addresses um, civil servant needs, right? And taking into account a lot of the things that are happening today, things like COVID, uh, which we saw obviously through such a a curveball in terms of um, most people and their livelihoods and things like climate change it will impact um, a lot of uh, the way we function in society moving forward. I think as government, as people developing these sort of strategies to motivate and ensure that we constantly want to improve, um, it's obviously looking at internal motivation of the people delivering these services and ensuring that they are taken care of, Um, but also looking at the long-term goal and what we want to do as Malaysia, right? If we want to be able to hit those international standards and be one of the best and deliver the best services, um, we have to have those sort of big targets and it has to be properly communicated um, to not just the civil servants, but also to Malaysians as well and, and in, in order for us to work in tandem with each other. Um, but I think it starts there. It starts with developing all of these internal processes, developing these KPIs and ensuring that the right incentives and the, the right things are being delivered to the people to be able to enable them to thrive in those sort of changing, fast-changing uh, situations.
1: Davina, thanks for speaking with us today.
0: Thank you so much.
1: That was Davina Devarajan, a public policy consultant who specialises in digital adoption strategies, weighing in on uh, the statement from the Economy Minister, Rafizi Ramli, that the... uh that Padu was built in-house by the civil service as a way to increase their digital capabilities. So we want to hear from you. How can we balance these sorts of long-term gains with the potential short-term pain of um, challenges, the security issues that have come up, especially when we're talking about something as important as Padu? You can call 777 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio.
3: Bole for Malaysia ha
2: BFM 89.9 The Business Station
1: it is 5.37. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. And it's been a big week for Padu uh, because that's what we're talking about again today. Uh, because uh, the Economy Minister, Rafizi Ramli, in a uh, press conference said that the Padu database was developed by our civil service in-house as a way to increase their digital capabilities. Uh, but given that the complaints have that have been surfacing since, there have been some questions about whether this is really the path to have taken, right? So we want to hear from you. How can we Balance long-term gain with potential short-term pain, especially for something as important as Padu. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We have a mixed bag of responses and messages coming through. Let's start with a voice note. This is from
3: Redswan. I think what Rafizi is trying to do is very good. Uh, utilizing the in-house capabilities. And yes, there will be gaps between the in-house government capabilities and the private sector, but in a way, he can use it as a pitch to get all those performing uh, private sector to come into work into the government. Uh, maybe with that, over the years, we can build a uh, good talent pool, and not only that, uh, change the mentality or the the mindset of the the government worker and and this is not trying to say that the government worker are not performers are not uh high achievers it could be that the environment is not there for them to excel in as to how a private sector may work i think that's my opinion coming from a private sector uh, oil and gas international company
1: Redzwan, thank you for that. Uh, Also, drive safe. I can clearly uh, hear that you're (laughs) navigating your way somewhere. Uh, But, you know, those are some actually, those are some very good points to bring up because, um, yes, of course, there will be gaps, but this feels like um, a good way to think about the long-term implication of having a public sector or civil service that cannot rise to the occasion when we need them to, right? And your point, Redzwan, about uh, this also being an opportunity then to have cross collaborations with the private sector to be able to attract the private sector to come into the public sector. I think those are all actually very, very well-made points.
2: Yeah, so if we go beyond the, the particular instance of Padu. I think, Rezaan, you speak about what's something that the government has to consider, right? If they're talking about building in our capacity, it's going to have to include recruitment and recruitment of talent. And then the question is whether the the terms and conditions of work within the government sector and public sector as it is uh, match those of the private sector? How would you you know, raise them to the same level? How would you equalize those so that it becomes, so somebody who's talented will feel that they have an equally good chance of developing professionally if they go to either the private or the public sector. That is something that's harder that would require the kind of political will that I think so far I don't think any Malaysian politician has shown because the public sector has become captive of a particular kind of political ideology and therefore you know, is less, um, less open to, to change in the way that the private sector is constantly... F- Are focused on change because it has to, because they have a bottom line, which is called the profit motive.
1: (laughs) Well, that, and also something you brought up earlier in our discussion with Davina, the public sector is also held up under this huge amount of scrutiny that comes with a certain kind of baggage. So even when they do try to implement any kind of change, it's often viewed with a lot of cynicism. Oh, this is not going to work. It's yet another failed initiative for the civil service. And I think that actually is something that is coming through in the uh, messages that we're getting as well. Um, So, some criticism. Tanath is saying, "I'd like to fly an airplane to. I, I'd like to fly an airplane to develop my flying skills." Tanath, I sense the sarcasm in your words. I see the sense? point. <laughs> they just
2: leapt off the well,
1: page and grabbed this earnest. by the neck. I mean, Tanath could be making an earnest point, but but actually, what I thought was, yes, obviously, when you're trying to fly a plane, you don't immediately put them in the cockpit with passengers. But at some point in the process, you gotta do the thing, right? You gotta fly the plane. If you want to learn to fly a plane, at some point, you'll fly the plane. So at what point? does our civil service then get to do that? And and that's, I think, where the, the question is. If we keep saying we want them to become digitally capable, at some point they need to try.
2: Yeah, and so, I guess they, um, you know, let's move beyond this metaphor, because I think it's a problem, like, as you pointed out, Shamila, it's a problematic metaphor, uh, you know. <laughs> the question, of course, is that, is something like this uh, equivalent to flying a plane? I mean, how much danger has the government subjected the public to by doing this, right? Um, I think that's one question. And there's there's been criticism, quite a bit of criticism out there, especially around uh, privacy and and data and such. But I think the the ultimate question is, you know, were there ways of which we could have done this or the government could have done this, not to do a launch, but have beta testing of the platform, uh, you know, in the lead up to a proper launch and therefore kind of ferret out the kind of problems that have emerged. And all this, uh, you know, it's about testing. And the more you test, the larger the scale of testing, more things uh, sort of emerge. And so um, how much of the problems are about some essential uh, uh, deficiencies in the public sector? How much of it actually is about the nature of the technology and how all technology, even those coming out of the private sector, private sector, really need constant testing.
1: So actually our guest who came on to talk about the Padu launch was also part of the uh, development team, uh, Dr. Lao Jehan. He mentioned exactly that, I remember, Sherat, that um, perhaps instead of doing this sort of launch, there could have been a soft launch or some process of a, a testing ground uh, that, was, that the public was made aware of, rather than the here it is, sign up by March, right, which kind of gives the impression that this is the thing, here's the fully born uh, product um Cheryl saying just because the government servant is not updated with the latest and current technology does the whole nation have to suffer with government incompetency every day the malaysian public reads news of millions and billions of government funding being wasted anything um that is a fund a savings uh, initiative by the government shouldn't be trusted see actually Cheryl, you know this is the kind of um cynicism that I was talking about. And, and I, I'm not saying you're wrong to feel it because there have been, I suppose, enough instances in the past where we've been let down by these projects that are rolled out and ultimately become white elephants. But I wonder whether that means, I want, does that mean then that nothing the government does should be given any props or even a little bit of a grace period? Yeah, and also, you know, the
2: assumption is always that, you know, the public sector is bereft of talent. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the prejudice view is, is is that, and that, you know, the private sector is is perfect. And of course we know the private sector is not perfect either. And so the question really is, uh, and I think what our guest uh, Davina just spoke about was uh, better private sector, public sector cooperation, or one that is strategic so it doesn't cost the Malaysian government... Uh, and the public purse, as it were, billions of dollars. Ultimately, the government can resort to outsourcing everything. But then what we're doing is we're kind of paying double, right? We have a civil service that is not being utilized to the full. At the same time, we're spending huge amounts of money on the private sector. Um, and uh, I, I think that philosophically, I'm with Rafizi on this, we need to build capacity in a, in a public sector that maybe has been not tested and not allowed to develop itself because of the attitudes of uh, previous administrations that went very quickly, spent billions, uh, you know, very easily with the private sector. And um, it might have produced good results. It sometimes didn't. Uh,
1: but at the end of the day, we have a somewhat stunted civil service. Just to close at least on this side of things with a little bit of positivity from Fez saying the Padu initiative is with good intentions. Seriously, Malaysians should chill. They're too pessimistic and they're acting like the house is already on fire. Feedback is good and the Padu team are improving. Yes, they should have run the program in a safe environment before launch for debugging. But just take this as we're all the system checkers. Complete the information and contribute to the success.
2: Yeah, my question because of the larger public is that with some of the negative press around Padu, how many people, what percentage of people are going to uh, hold back from participating?
1: Yes, yes. Because even during the show, we had a number of listeners saying, well, I'm not going to do it because I don't trust this, Um, which is... To which we say, I mean, there's so many platforms we already sign up for, right, as part of um, our well, need, really, to do digital transactions and so on. I will confess I thought I would wait a few days um, just to see what the initial uh, uptake and the response was. Uh, but I agree. I, I agree with you, Fez, that I think um, throwing the whole, uh, whole baby out with the mm. bathwater at this point feels maybe slightly premature. I like that metaphor. I prefer that to the flying, <laughs> <laughs> flying one. Anyway, keep your thoughts coming. We're asking you, how can we balance long-term gain with potential short-term pain, especially for something as important as Padu? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us at BFM Radio.
0: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app,